Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First up, Dave the Algadron Vader. How's it going? It's going. I'm sleepy these days. Uh, yeah, back to work, huh? Both back of to double my, work. Both of my jobs started yesterday, so after a month of not doing things because i'm a teacher and i get summers off mm -hmm. yesterday i was up at five out of the house at 6 45 and worked both jobs and didn't get home until like almost eight o'clock it was it was a lot and this is just how it's gonna be for the next <laughs> 10 months so for the uh, foreseeable future i'm strapping in uh it's, it's good though i've i've met my students my students are all super fun so i I think, and uh, I have a really good schedule this this semester, so I'm excited. About good deal. Yeah, I I know we've talked about uh, you know you and Liam both are teachers. When does it, you know, and I don't I don't remember this from being in school. That was forever ago. That was like Stone Age. But like, when do you you know like the first week is sort of like meet and greet almost. Like when do you get yeah. into like the nuts and bolts of the school year? Is so, it right away? Are you the type of teacher that just jumps right in, or how do you how do you guys handle that? The, the math teacher I share a classroom with has a very strict no math during the first week policy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do math tomorrow because I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> you have the monster role. <laughs> yeah. I have plus one, plus one, and trample. Um, That's right. Yeah. Trample you with numbers. Exactly. All right. Sweet. Uh, next up is our resident PDH, PhD, Liam. When do, you, when do you get to teach in and cut the funny business? Yeah. So uh, last week was actually our first week. So this is week two for us. Uh, because my school that's true that's true my school system for whatever reason was like labor day what's that that's just <laughs> the first monday of the school year is off right yeah it was it was interesting but uh it depends so some of my kids i see every single day and some of them i see every other day mm, okay. which is really awful for trying to keep assignments straight in your head Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So for the ones that I see every day, we started regular curriculum Thursday last week, like day four of the school year. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the, the, first, the first couple of assignments are all like uh, uh, STEM-based activities, like, like hands-on activities, uh, just kind of like fun things to get them excited about the boring stuff. So they didn't really see it as work, even though it is technically like supposed to be graded so yeah so for the kids i see every day we started that last week for the kids i don't see every day i saw them for the third time today uh which is great when you're halfway through week two and you see them for the third time so we're probably not right. actually starting anything until like tomorrow and friday will be the first days for those kids that we actually do stuff uh mm -hmm. and then like next week it'll be you know full steam ahead all that jazz Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So at least you have a little bit of a, a breather before you get rolling. Right, right. Well, right on, right on. I think, uh, as normal, we need to do a little housekeeping before we talk about the sweet, sweet main topic this week. 
As usual, if you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually uh, a short recording of us catching up for the week. But this time it was pretty good. It was, it was probably almost as long as this episode is going to be. Uh, you also get early access to the episode before it goes live. Usually I try to post that the night before along with the show notes so you can kind of follow along with what we're talking about. And then finally, you get access to our very own PDH pod discord where you can chat with the crew get help with all your decks all your fun brews and uh, just have kind of good conversations all the way around and then we're also the pdh pod on instagram youtube and twitch uh the latter is where i stream spell table paper pdh uh well spell table some people play moxfield but pdh regardless every saturday evening at 5 p.m central so uh, be sure to tune in there I guess over to the news desk with the new and improved sounding Liam. What do you got for This Week in Magic? Yeah, This Week in Magic was pretty eventful for PDH. So to begin, just general magic, we had a pretty woeful pre-release. Get it? Woeful? <laughs> yeah, it's a text <laughs> joke. You don't have to look at the show notes to get it. Um, there was today an anime trailer for the set, Wilds of Eldraine dropped. Uh, so just quick recap on that for people that are familiar with the the set trailers that they've been doing since around last Eldraine, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit before that, where they, they do like a whole like cinematic trailer. It's a couple minutes long. That drops like a month before the set releases. Uh, Wasn't the so first they did one that. War of the Spark? Because that's when uh, Dak died. Yeah, that might be. That might be the first one. That sounds familiar, yeah. But they, they do these cinematic trailers like a month before the set. But So they did that for Wilds of Eldraine. But today, day of recording, Wednesday, they dropped a second one. It is an anime-based one. Uh, it's an entirely different thing from the like. It's not like they just took the first trailer and made it anime. They made like an entirely different trailer with anime art style, and it's pretty solid. I enjoyed it. Spoilers. Good deal. Dave it's hates not it. All solid. It's trash. All right. Well, <laughs> that's just your opinion. Going on. Like I said earlier, there was a lot of PDH content. Uh, if you are a Patreon, I highly recommend going into our Discord, scrolling all the way down to the finished show prep 2023 uh, folder section, whatever, clicking on the channel that is titled Episode 64, September 6th, Building Wilds of Eldraine, and checking out the show notes because I have linked here a couple of other things. Or you can listen to me talk about them. So the first one go. is Draft Sim. This is a magic-based content creator. Uh, They put out a PDH article this week that is the top 20 PDH commanders. Uh, You can probably just Google that and it'll come up. Cool Stuff Inc. dropped an article today from one of their regular article writers that is exploring PDH with... It's not opera, but autocorrect got me. I think it's Obira, yep. Dreaming Obira, Duelist. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like they did a, a kind of a building Wilds of Eldraine style deck list on Obira. Uh, and then there is a content creator that looks like they've been around for a while, but showed up on my stream for the first time this week. Uh, they are called Tuesday Night Takeover. Uh, they do have their own website. It is Tuesday Night tuesdaynighttakeover.com they apparently have weekly pdh articles and i think weekly pdh streams i'm not entirely sure about that one i do know that they do weekly streams of like edh and mm-hmm. cedh but i feel like pdh yeah. is mixed in though yeah i i a ton, ton of deck lists over there yeah too. i had no idea they existed until literally this week and i 
just a quick perusal of their portfolio, it looks really solid. It looks like they, yeah, they've got a pretty good grasp on the format, and and I I think that they are worth a deeper dive. So, yeah, go check all that out. Excellent, excellent. I think we'll uh, go ahead and uh, take that, take notes on that, and move into the main topic as we've done before. When a new standard set comes out, we try to we got the suggestion quite a while ago from one of our patrons, I believe, that said, you know, I would love to know, basically I would love to know how to draft a deck based on an uncommon signpost from a set and build that out into a pauper commander deck. And I th- I want to say this this episode right here is probably the third time we've done this. Is this oh, third or fourth time uh, we've done it? I think it's fourth. Fourth. Is it the fourth? Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty much what we're going to do here. We just had Wilds of Eldraine pre-release. Apparently that was a blast. I didn't get to make it this time. Uh, so we're going to take some signposts from that set. Sort of, first of all, we're going to run you through how to draft them, what you're kind of looking for in a draft environment with these particular signposts. And then um, we're going to each present a deck list based around those creatures as commanders to show you how we would approach building them. But for the most part, they're going to be kind of wide open. You can make your own interpretations and that sort of thing. But uh, just to sort of show you what's possible outside of the limited environment. So first order of business, Dave, do you want to kind of go over the uh, Wilds of Eldraine drafting situation? Yeah, uh, I, I I just want to quickly mention that I I did the pre-release last weekend and it was uh, an incredibly good time. Uh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, I I I I had high expectations for the limited environment for this set and I was not disappointed at all. It was like the the celebration like comes together really powerfully in in these archetypes i i ended up building a white red celebration deck and just absolutely curb stomped every i <laughs> i three-o'd the event and none of my matches were close really do you was, think you just had a busted like pre-release box or you think I, celebration is just that good i think i think or, I, or is I, it just you're that good i mean i guess it could just be <laughs> i mean the alcadron is that good i i have been doing pre-releases really consistently since mirage so i I do have Mm -hmm. a lot of experience with that um (laughs) helps yep yeah but like i think that i think that celebration is powerful if well i mean i'll say this every single one of these archetypes is really powerful if you get the cards for it i had the cards for celebration i had literally every good celebration card in the set i had the regal bunnicorn i had Mm, like nice i had the thing that turns into a dragon i had ash i had double uh the the two mana red thing that becomes a three three trampler i had two of those two of the armory mice that just becomes a three three like normally uh yeah no i like my celebration pool is the nuts so um yeah it was it was really fun but i mean like i i can very easily imagine someone else getting the nuts draft pool for something like you know the auras deck or the the foods deck or the bargain deck mm-hmm. and like i think that everything is like very viable here and i like that that's what excites me about the limited is like you have to like really look very carefully at what your sealed deck is offering you and then you can build a deck and like you can you can do some really cool stuff in this set yeah, I don't. I don't want to get too far off topic, but I do have a limited question. Whenever, because mm-hmm. I know you you do pre pre releases a lot and you regular drafting all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that the decks you end up with in pre release are generally different from draft? If that's 
too generic of a question. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's celebration is good in pre-release, but are those packs sort of, like, designed that way? Or can you still draft, like, a dominant celebration deck? I think that you, you know can. What I'm saying? I think that in draft... Like, the thing that you have to be very careful about in draft is uh, if your sealed pool has a remarkably powerful celebration deck in it, like it's possible someone else is going to take it alongside you. And then each of you ends up with half a celebration deck and like, neither mm, of that's you succeed. Fair. Yeah. like you have to be very, like if you're going to try and draft the celebration deck, you have to be really mindful of, am I getting the cards or like, is someone else here doing that also? And do I need to pivot? Like you, yeah. you have to pay really close attention to what cards are available to you. And you have to keep paying attention to that. You can't just make that decision based on pack one, pick one, and then be like, I'm committed. <laughs> Like yeah, I go, let's go. I got the dragon, so I'm celebration forever. <laughs> like I learned that yeah, lesson well, in uh, Return Mirrored and Besieged. That's the name of it. Oh um, wow, yeah. When, I was say don't don't carbon date yourself here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mirrored and Besieged was a set where if you wanted to make the metalcraft ability work reliably, you mm -hmm. needed to have somewhere in the vicinity of 17 artifacts in your deck. Sure. And if you wanted to make an infect deck work reliable, you needed somewhere in the vicinity of like 15 infect creatures, 12, 12 yeah. to 15 infect creatures. And so I just watched people drafting the set over and over again, take, you know, the whatever 50 infect creatures that are in the, the, the draft pool and mm -hmm. split them six different ways. So everyone got seven. So of everyone them. got a third of an infect deck. Right. Everyone has half an infect deck and they're like, well, this isn't going to work. Or or even worse, they were like, well, I got my I got my seven infect creatures. Let's go. And you're like, Let's do this. I have ten <laughs> removal spells. Like, what's what's your backup plan? <laughs> like uh, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, you have to, that's the thing about drafting. You have to be very, very careful about making sure that your plan remains viable. Yeah, that's, I mean, I know that's like the bread and butter of drafting, but that's yeah. what I'm pretty bad. I'm, I'm bad at pivoting and like identifying what's going on, but if you just give me cards in the blind, I'm it, usually pretty good about picking out what's good, what's bad, but. Yeah, I, I feel like seal deck is a lot less stress. Yes, for sure. But for it's sure. it's also kind of less low reward, I think. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a skill. You should, don't be scared of drafting. Go draft, like draft and like overcommit to things overcommit to things for like a year and like right. to know what that feels like and then start looking <laughs> at like how do, how am i gonna pivot like there's no yep. there's no way to, to to teach that skill besides just failing just doing it boards. yep yep much like life course of years but yeah but yeah it seemed like a lot of people had uh had fun over pre-release we'll see what the next week or two comes once uh, drafting is at all the tables yeah yeah for sure yeah let's talk about Let's talk about some of the kinds of decks that we can draft in Wilds of Eldraine. Some sure, of the some of the really supported archetypes. Do you, who's who's going to talk about that? You want me to talk about it? You want you want to force Liam to say things? He's been quiet. <gasps> yeah, let's force Liam to say things. All right, Liam, tell us tell us what kind of uh, or at least one of the big big draft archetypes in Wilds of Eldraine. Yeah, so one of the big draft archetypes in wilds of eldraine is enchantocrats yeah i feel I like that's what? pretty what enchantocrats <laughs> enchantocrats I, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory it's aristocrats but with enchantments so for this archetype you're in the packs you're kind of looking for anything that just says when an enchantment enters slash 
when an enchantment is put into a graveyard, those are going to be your payoffs. In the set specifically, you're looking for basically anything in Orzhov that deals with rolls. All of that is going to be very solid for you. You're going to be looking for Ashiok's Reaper at Uncommon because that is going to give you card draw. Uh, Warehouse Warehouse Tabby at Common is going to give you some extra bodies to get some damage through with. Wicked Visitor at Common is going to deal some damage, which is going to be a win con. The Hopeful Hopeless Enchantments just kind of get you some generic value uh, and trigger both the ETB and the Leaves. And then uh, I know Dave likes to stay away from the Rayos and stuff, but if you can pull Ariat... Uh, such as you just will Ariat into your pack. Uh, that is the, the <laughs> Orzhov mythic legendary creature that deals with auras and enchantments. Uh, so you just you just know you're going to like pack one, pick one, just rip them out of the pack. Like Then you're good to go. That's a pretty solid pick as well. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, each opponent loses life equal to your auras. That's, that's pretty nutso. Yeah, when you have five rolls out, that's five, five life. Yeah, right, the exactly. rolls... The rolls are very interesting because people, whenever you get tokens like this, people just look at the type they are, which is rolls, and think mm-hmm. that's it. They forget that they count as a token, they count as an enchantment, they count as an aura. Yes. Like, they are all of these things. Their, their type line is token, enchantment, aura, roll. <laughs> they count as all of those things. And yeah. so it... it Wizards has done a really good job in recent years of making sure that super what what would otherwise be super parasitic mechanics aren't. Like I know we can look at all will be one and look at oil counters and just be like, what was going on? But when you look at this set and you look at roles, a lot of the role support asks for auras or enchantments, not for roles. Yeah, that stuff you'll but- find is eternal playable. And and rolls happen to be enchantments and auras, which is really really good, and helps that helps make sure that when you translate this stuff to eternal formats like Commando, like PDH, you have the support that you need to make them work, which is awesome. So yeah. f- follow up there. One of the reasons that I I think that WoW Limited and like drafting and sealed deck is so powerful is because all of the archetypes overlap. Like if you right. want to do, if you want to go hard into the roles thing, that also gives you all the fodder you need to do bargaining. Yep. If you want to go yeah, hard yeah. into the bargaining thing, you can support that with roles. You can support that with food. There's a yep. plenty of treasure. Like if yep. you want to go hard into food, then like you can support that with bargaining. Like there's a, yeah, it's just so many, like the way that everything comes together into just a, a really functional pile of cards is really fun for me. Yeah, I like the sound of being able to splash different things in, in drafting or limited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for that Enchantocrats breakdown. We need to get that trending. Everyone needs to use that. I love that new term. Uh, next up, you mentioned a couple times, Dave. We'll talk about a little bit of food in the limited environment. Um, I think the big creature, the main creature you're going to look for here or at least the one that I'm fond of, is Greta, the Sweet Tooth Scourge, the one that ETBs and makes food. You can sacrifice food to draw cards. It She just loves all the food, and normally, at least from what I can tell as an outsider of, of this set, I haven't drafted it, but normally Golgari or black-green decks tend to be sort of grindy. They wear the game out. They take it to the later turns where a lot of the food 
payoffs or a lot of the payoffs in this sort of deck that use foods are very aggressive. A lot of combat tricks, a lot of pumps, you know, plus two, plus two here and trample there and, you know, just flying the uh, the power and toughness bonuses around, you know, things like old Flitterfang. That's going to be a big payoff in your food deck. It's a 3-4, gets plus 2, plus 2 until the end of turn if you sacrifice an artifact or another creature. Uh, Experimental Confectioners is another one that's a really good payoff that makes you get your board a little wider, makes you rats, that sort of thing. Um, I'm actually a fan. I don't know how good it would be in Limited, but I'm a big fan of Welcome to Sweet Tooth, the saga, the mono green saga where Chapter 3 is put X plus 1, plus 1 counters on target creature you control where X is the number of foods you control. I don't know how many you can amass in limited, especially with so many sacrifice food, specifically sacrifice outlets that you'll probably have under your control. But, you know, it's always fun to dream. And then, you know, things like Knights of Sweet Revenge, ETBs, mix of food, and then you can pump your entire board based on how many foods you have. That seems really fun. There's just a lot of ways to make your board wide for cheap or free, really by just using the cardboard resources you have and then make them go tall as well. And then, you know, if you throw in some monster rolls, you're going to get trample. There's a ton of, not a ton, but there's a handful of death touchers here. So if you can pump them up and they do have trample, like you're just going to knock your opponent out of the game. And you mentioned them earlier, the bargain cards. That's one of those set mechanics that is, that synergizes with the other mechanics like you just mentioned like the bargains love having food tokens because you just sack them to get their effect yes you, you know the uh but the uh, rowan's grim search and all that sort of thing there's a big removal spell that that's the you can best bargain bargain right spell. rowan's grim search is nuts seems real good <laughs> it's an instant uh yeah so there's just i know in the last few sets last few years at least you know Wizards loves just giving us more cardboard for free and food is no different, but it's super synergistic. It's super fun and fail cases. It'll just help you kind of stay alive for a little while until you can get that board established. So um, the, the thing I like about the colors in this set is that if you want to build a late game Golgari deck, you can absolutely do that. You know, there's plenty of removal spells. There's plenty of big, expensive creatures that you can cast later in the game with some early turn ramp that we have. So you can sort of go Golgari aggressive food. You can go Golgari rock food, you know, for later turns, that sort of thing. And that's my takeaway as an outsider. I don't know if you saw anything different, Dave, but um, that's kind of what I have for the food deck. Yeah. Cool. Um, Sounds good to me. What do you got? I... I'm going to talk to you today about the tap down control deck, even though I hate all of those words that I just said. <laughs> um, yeah, there's for the first time ever, uh, Wizards has started printing cards with the text. When you tap a creature your opponent controls, you get to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've never had that before in Magic, and uh, now we do. So there is it's a it's a whole archetype in Woe Limited. It's mostly in white and blue. We have a handful of things that will tap down creatures, and we have a handful of things that will give us payoffs for that. The two real workhorse payoffs we have here are Ice Rot Sentry is a body that will allow you to tap something as an attack trigger by paying a couple mana, and every time you tap. Uh, a creature your opponent controls this this body's going to get plus two plus one until end of turn yep. so it can get real big real fast i was a fan of this creature in our set review episode 
Yeah, this is it's an uncommon creature, so you could make a, a PDH deck out of this guy if you wanted to. Uh, that's not what this episode is about. Correct. Um, the other big workhorse payoff we get is uh, an enchantment called Solitary Sanctuary, which will tap something on ETB and put a stun counter on it. And then again, whenever you tap an unpaired creature your opponent controls, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on one of your creatures. Both of these will just grow your board while keeping your opponent's board locked down. And that's how you win limited games. Um, <laughs> Turns out, if yeah, they can't block, you, you just, win. You have bigger creatures than they do in... Yep. You use yours, and you prevent them from using theirs, and then you, uh, yeah, that's it. So both of those cards super cool. The uh, the big important creature we're actually talking about is the signpost on common, which is a legendary merfolk named Sheree of Numbing Sheree. Depths. She's yep. a four mana Azorius colored two three. When she enters. You tap a creature, put a stun counter on it, and uh, she still she has the same trigger. When you tap one or more untapped creatures your opponent's control, draw a card. This triggers only once per turn. I like that as opposed to, for a while it seemed like Watsi was stuck in the design loop of, you know, what's the blue-white mechanic? Oh, it's just going to be flying creatures and or control. Like, mm -hmm. this is still control. The stun counters are still a form of control, but they're not like the just hard counter spells, draw a bunch of cards, life gain, and then eventually just win on turn 18 when I feel like winning sort of thing. Like, this is right. this can turn aggressive eventually because, like like you mentioned, they don't have any blockers, you know, <laughs> so mm -hmm. you're just going to run over them. You know, it's not going to draw the game out until you just feel like doing something. Yeah, I do like that this is kind of a... I, I like the versatility of tapping things. You yes. can mm -hmm. you can tap things as a control maneuver, like you know if you're tapping things on your opponent's upkeep step, then it's so that they don't attack you, but they right. stay tapped and then you they don't block either, yep. uh, or you can you you can tap things during your turn. This is a a, a really powerful new maneuver. Uh, if you if you have a big alpha strike coming, you can tap down one of their creatures on their turn and then on your turn untap your tapper tap another one of their creatures, swing through for big damage. Uh, you can kind of double up on these taps to do, use them defensively and aggressively. Um, yep. And Sheree is just going to give you cards for the whole thing. So uh, as a limited archetype, I, I agree with you. I think that this is a very interesting take on the Azorius mechanic. I love to see this text. Like it's been It's been a long time since Wizards has done something that's completely brand new. And I feel like, I feel like for a long time they just weren't confident about the language when you tap a creature your opponent controls. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they, they probably had this idea 10 years ago and were like, well, are you tapping it? Or like, is your ability forcing them to tap their own creature? Like, do we need oh, it sure, to say sure. when a spell or ability you control causes a permanent, your opponent's control to become tapped? Like, <laughs> like they probably had arguments about this for years before they finally yeah. put it on a card and now it's on a card, and like it's templated really cleanly as well. I like that. And yeah, uh, now you know you could watch it happen too, because there is how you know, you can't even count how many creatures that say when this creature becomes tapped, do X or mm -hmm. tap X creatures you control you control to do this effect. Like mm -hmm, I like mm -hmm. that they've expanded it into sort of this this uh, this realm. Yeah, there's definitely some cool stuff going on here. So those are the big payoffs we have in uh, in white and blue. The Ice Rot Sentry, Solitary Sanctuary. 
uh, and Sheree. Did did you get to play with the reindeer, or is that just part of the? I show did. Notes? So I I didn't. No one. So um, one of my opponents had this deck in his pool and mm-hmm. wasn't originally playing with it. And uh, after after our game, like he he was pretty new to. Uh, the whole limited scene. So I was like, yeah. do you mind if I take a look? And I, I sort of helped him redesign the deck and we, we turned it into a charade deck that was just all the tapping all the time. And he had all of these. He had the he had charade, he had the century, he had the sanctuary. He had a lot of tapping effects in his deck. Uh, it looked to me like it was going to be pretty cool. Um, but then I didn't like get to catch up with him really afterwards. Okay, uh, cool, so. cool, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm just pretty intrigued by the reindeer. I know it's... I. The logical side of my brain knows it's overcosted, but I well, just I, I like that effect. So I mean, in this deck, the 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 reindeer that that Brad is talking about is a th- four mana three four that taps an opponent's creature anytime an aura enters the battle. Sorry, anytime an enchantment comes in under your control. Yeah. So the the thing I really like about this in the charade build is that it is a body. Like you you won't win games just by tapping things down. You need to capitalize on your opponent's stuff being tapped by actually sending damage in there. And having this as a 3-4 body that can be sent is good. That's a powerful card right. in the deck. But it only really functions if you, you also have all the aura support. Yeah. Which is why I said one of the things that I really love about the overlapping stuff here is that a bunch of the cards feel like they were just intentionally designed to overlap. Which mm-hmm. is why right now I want to talk about Vantress Transmuter. Solid. Yep. This card. This card is like four of Eldraine's themes all rolled into one. <laughs> uh, this is another four mana three four. So uh, as a body, it's not it's not aggressively costed, but it's adequately costed. Uh, yeah. To to give you that put that beater on the field that will deliver the beats once things are tapped. He also has an adventure. That's uh, that's set mechanic number one on display. He has an adventure. Uh, that lets you tap target creature and create a cursed roll attached to that creature. You just so, checked off two boxes right there. So many boxes. He's got an adventure, he taps things down, and he gives you that aura. Yep. And So this is just a really powerful piece of control that's going to trigger all your tap down effects, it's going to trigger all your aura effects, it's going to keep the creature out of your business by being a one one frog out of your business uh yeah so yeah it's just i think that this is if you have enough vantress transmuters then the rhyme fear reindeer becomes a powerhouse if you don't have the aura support then obviously don't run the reindeer and the uh the transmuter is a wizard for all those sweet party decks oh yeah i don't think there's a lot of party decks in I'll drain uh, limited, but <laughs> yeah, probably not. But I could there be wasn't wrong. really much in Zendikar either, so yeah, we. Do you know uh... it wasn't? <laughs> huh? Baldur's... Do you know where it wasn't? Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Men Baldur's freaking gate. Yep, that's true. All right, moving um, on. Yeah, we have uh, we have plunge into winter. Spell the taps things. Outstanding. Freeze in place. Spell the taps things. Outstanding. A couple more creatures that tap things. You can. I think that this deck is has the potential to do a lot of really cool things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know it's one that a lot of people have talked about since it was spoiled. We we talked about it quite a bit on the set review episode, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see this uh, deck, obviously unlimited, but also pop up at your uh, PDH tables. Yeah. 
Cool. So we're going to take these decks, these draft decks, these limited archetypes, and we're going to port them into the 100-card Singleton Pauper Commander formats. Um, as usual, PDH decks, they're pretty complex. they got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, obviously, they go you know, cards all the way back to Magic's creation. Um, so we're going to break things down a little bit and chit-chat about all those pieces, how we're going to do it. We try not to go too deep because, kind of like I mentioned in the beginning, like this is just sort of a way to... Um, get the wheels rolling in, in the brewer's mind or just sort of see our takes on it, if you will. Like, this isn't like a deck dive episode. This isn't building Greta for CPDH or anything like that. Like, this is just sort of like, these are the basic outlines of what you want these particular decks to do, how you want them to play, what you're looking for. But none of this is really set in stone. So, but as usual, this is kind of a three by three episode. So we do have some pillars. I know Dave, you just got done talking, but I love when you do pillars. Pillars get a little squirrely when all three of our decks are very different archetypes doing very different things. So we're going to yes. sort of reduce, we're not going to, we're going to strip the pillars down to the very most basic bare bones idea of pillars. And yep. so we're, we're going to talk about pillar one being what additional cards we're going to add to this deck. So like, you know, if we, if we have built the, uh, the draft deck and we think that was an, a remarkable time i loved getting all this utility out of the signpost on common i want to do more of this how am i going to transform this into a pdh deck so pillar one is going to be doing more of the thing i'm going to want to do more of tapping creatures uh liam's going to want to do more of having enchantments specifically enchantments that kill themselves enchantocrats brad's going to want to do more of getting food i'm hungry Pillar two is going to be how, like, once we once we do these things, how are we going to leverage that into advantage? Like, beyond tapping things for the sake of tapping them, what what is it about tapping things that is going to progress my plan towards a victory? Right. How are how are we going to transform a huge pile of foods into a game winning strategy? That sort of thing. Pillar three, as always, how to not die. Pillar four, as always, how to not run out of gas. So we'll, we'll automatically include some control elements in here, because I think almost all decks need them, and we'll include some draw or late game impactfulness strategies, because I think almost yep. all decks need those as well. Yep, absolutely. Especially when you're building a deck... like. You can either just want to build the newest uncommon creature from a set, or you absolutely love the food mechanic. Like, if you absolutely love the food mechanic, that's fine. It's it's fun. It's very synergistic. It's interesting. But typically, because it's like the, uh, I don't want to say premiere, but like the highlighted kind of set mechanic, the focal set mechanic, a lot of those cards tend to be a little weaker or a little more expensive because of the limited environment. So you're going to have to kind of take that into consideration when building your PDH deck. So that's the reason we're not going to talk about celebrate on this episode. <laughs> Celebrate's right. a super cool, fantastic limited mechanic translates very poorly into PD, uh, PDH. Right. And you'll notice that too. I, I don't know if we've specifically mentioned it on the three previous um, building of sets episodes that we've had, but there are usually at least one to three archetypes that just don't port over very well into PDH. So. That's fine. 
Sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The thing about signpost on commons is that there are N of them. Every and, set. <laughs> yeah. So this this set, like we've talked about a handful of this set's major themes and mechanics. There's a bunch that are just like sort of more minor. Like red green has a if you control creatures with power four or greater, like it's a ferocious. Red green has mm -hmm. a ferocious theme. Blue green has a spells that cost five or more theme. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's just tons of like extra stuff that we're kind of not touching on this episode. Yeah, and Some... I think it would be hard to like. You would almost have to have a well, signpost uncommons podcast because I mean we get like forty, thirty to fifty signpost uncommons every year. Like, and that's just the signpost ones. It's not the other uncommon creatures in the set. You know, all that good stuff. I think someday in the distant future, when the PDH pod has grown a little bit and there are ten hosts. <gasps> each of us takes one i think that's when we'll get the you know like when it's when we've moved beyond three by threes and we're into the 10 by tens that's when yes, we'll be we've able to cover evolved yes every and we'll, we'll draw straws to see who gets the, the the lame one yep and we'll draw straws to see who has to edit it <laughs> uh <yeah>. not it <laughs> not it <laughs> oh you don't oh. want me editing anything <laughs> I will take I will take that raw audio and slap it right up on Patreon. Just smash it right into the public's face. Yep, that works. <laughs> All right, I think we have uh, effectively explained everything. Um, who wants to start off? Liam, have you been bored sitting there? Do you want to start us off with Pillar 1 in your deck? Sure, I can start us, start us off with Pillar 1. So my deck is the white-black Enchantocrats deck piloted or not piloted helmed by neva uh whose title is currently escaping me but if you give me a second to click on my deck list it's the best uh, set the best name in the whole set yeah never <laughs> uh neva never stalked by nightmares mm -hmm. uh so just quickly go over the card they are four mana two white and a black for a two two human noble uh, they have menace but that is like the least interesting thing about them when they enter the battlefield, you will return target creature or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. And whenever an enchantment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you put a plus one plus one counter on never, then scry one. So this deck wants to effectively use both of those abilities. The first to recur enchantments to your hand for value. Uh, enchantments that are going to put themselves in the graveyard, enchantments that might loop with, though, you want to get value. And then second, you want to take advantage of the actual enchantocrating that is going on, because you want the buff <laughs> that Neva can get uh, to make a threatening creature in combat, but you also want the scrying to filter your cards, to get, you know, two better cards. The way that Neva's going to do this is two main ways. Uh, the first one is going to be general value with self-sacrificing enchantments. So you're looking at uh, a couple of sagas. There are three that are at common. They all come from Neon Dynasty. Honestly, none of them are like super amazing. I think the best one is probably uh, befriending the moths that can give Neva flying when she has a couple of counters. But oh, sure. those sagas will eventually turn into creatures because they're from Neon Dynasty and those creatures will eventually die. Those creatures are also enchantment creatures, so they will trigger never when they die. The other self-sacrificing enchantments come from a long line of, like, draft chaff that nobody but me likes. These are going to be your seals <laughs> that you can sacrifice, like, onboard tricks, right? You can sacrifice them to, to kill a thing. I think the white one is a disenchant, and the black one is... 
it's not just any creature. It's a non-black creature, right? Yeah. Dark banishing. Uh, then you've got some expeditions. Yep. Uh, not the super expensive lands from Battle for Zendikar, but the enchantments from the original Zendikar block that care about landfall. Uh, so these things, when you ha- hit a certain amount of landfall triggers, that you can sacrifice them for value. Uh, the fonts from the original Theros block that uh, that come down for a mana cost, and then for a different cost, you can sacrifice them for an effect. Uh, these were designed for devotion. Vessels from Shadows of Innistrad and Eldritch Moon, kind of similar in design to the fonts, but they were designed for Delirium. Uh, and then Omens from the newest Theros set, where they have flash etb to do something and you can sacrifice them later to scry some all of these enchantments will sacrifice themselves after some event or cost that is useful for this deck so you are able to sacrifice enchantments at will because we don't have a way to just sacrifice enchantments at common we don't have a way to sacrifice permanence at common we have one not not on the regular yeah it's called lunark mantle and it's outstanding right it's hard to draw into Although it is right, aura, so we so do have Lunark Mantle in the deck, but it's the only card that allows you to do that, so we can't rely on having it. Uh, yep. And then there's a small suite of cards from some from like old old Magic, like we're talking like dinosaur times of Magic, uh, that are <laughs> enchantments slash auras that will return themselves to your hand when they are put into the graveyard. These are very useful because you can put these on a creature, you can put them into play. If they happen to leave play for whatever reason, they go right back to your hand. They trigger never on the way to the graveyard. You don't have to use a never uh, ETB to get them back. They just go back to your hand to put them on something else to hopefully get another trigger later. Uh, these aren't the most amazing things. The effects tend to be pretty tame, but they are useful to just have a handful in the deck. The, yeah. the effects are tame on every single one of them except the one of them that is named Rancor. Right, but Rancor isn't in yeah, this. Rancor is good. In this deck. It's, I mean, <laughs> right. But I mean, it's uh, talking about the cycle. The cycle was nine extremely unimpressive yeah. cards and Rancor. Except for Rancor. Yeah. Rancor just blew them all away. Yeah. Like, combined. It was just better. Yeah. Like, Brilliant Halo is okay. I like it, but. And then outside no of the cards I've mentioned, there's a couple of other cards in, that are in my deck list that you can check out on Moxfield that just have general value with Neva's ability. Uh, but that is that section. The other thing is I mentioned loops. So there are a few enchantments that can loop, quote, infinitely mana limiting with never. Well, they they can loop as well as right, Orzhov. Right. Mana, mana limiting, which means as, for as much mana as you have, they will loop infinitely for scry triggers. So for never, if if you have these enchantments and never only, you will have scry triggers which help you dig for the leverage right so when we get to pillar two i'll talk about the leverage that helps you win the game or at least set up the win for your next turn with these loops uh but those five cards which should absolutely be in every single never deck you build are angelic renewal kaya's ghost form shades form unhallowed pact and unholy indenture these are all for the most part, auras, but I think Angelic Renewal is the only just straight-up enchantment. These are all enchantments that will loop with Never in the sense that when Never goes to the graveyard, the enchantment 
will either be uh, moved by state-based actions or sacrificed in the case of angelic renewal, go to the graveyard to return Neva to the battlefield, and then Neva's ETB ability will return this enchantment from the graveyard to your hand, which you can then cast for mana <laughs> and That's then so repeat. Cool. Uh, and every time you do that, when Neva, you, you'll have scries. Every time you do that, you'll have a scry trigger. Yep. So it's good to have these because when we get to pillar two and you see the leverage cards, you'll understand why. Yeah, the the scry just randomly stapled onto Neva just is mm-hmm. really good. Cool. Thank you for your pillar one breakdown, Liam. I'm going to go ahead and hop into uh, some food, the old food bucket here. I am building, uh, if you couldn't tell from our draft breakdown, I am building Greta, Sweet Tooth, Scourge, and basically my pillar one, kind of like Liam's, is it's just sort of printed on Greta herself. Uh, When I ended up finishing out the deck... I ended up with 19 instances of food, not counting ginger brew, limbass, and uh, vegetation abomination, which is actually pauper legal from Infinity. And then if those 20 plus cards weren't enough, Greta herself just makes food tokens when she ETBs. You know, and we have grave flickers. We have a ton of grave flickers, depending on how many you actually just want in the deck or how many sacrifice outlets you have. Uh, I just went with a couple, but... Some of the spells, like like we alluded to earlier, some of the spells that create food are a little expensive. Like, look at original Theros with bacon to a pie. It's four mana, removal spell, you make a food, great and limited, probably not super great in any other PDH or most PDH decks, but definitely in a food deck, you want to have it. But those are expensive because set mechanic. I mean, that's just how it goes. But I think we have, or I think I ended up managing to get most of the food, create a food token cards into this deck that are available in Golgari colors at common. But basically, that's it. We don't have to go through a lot of work to make our food tokens. And not only like we have a ton of ways to use them, a ton of payoffs for our food tokens, not just from Wilds of Eldraine, but like throughout Magic history, there is a way to use and abuse uh, just tokens in general. So we're going to try to do that. But for the most part, Gret is going to get you where you want to be. And then um, it's kind of, you know, dealer's choice, chef's choice, how you want to use those tokens afterwards. But um, for the most part, we're just focusing on the uh, on the commander for Pillar 1. Dave, what do you got? I am here to talk to you about some really cool ways that ancient magic cards have of tapping things down. Perhaps the most famous of these is Twiddle, and I will tell you ahead of time, Twiddle's not in the deck, because (laughs) you only get to use it once. You you cast Twiddle and it's gone, and then you don't get a Twiddle. You don't have Twiddle anymore. So um, if we have the ability to draw a card once per turn, not per turn cycle, but once per turn on every player's mm-hmm. turn by tapping something, we really want to focus hard on things that will allow us to tap over and over and over again. So repeatability is huge here, and uh, repeatability is going to come mostly from bodies. Uh, cards like Minister of Impediments is outstanding, just a three mana one one that you can tap to tap a creature. Ballynock Trapper is similar it's a four mana two two you can tap it to tap a creature and it untaps every time you cast a white spell you can Mm -hmm. get a lot of value out of that there are some other of these that are like actively awful 
Like, um, <laughs> there's some kind of Kamigawa Moth Rider. It's like a one mana one one flyer that lets you spend four mana to tap something. <laughs> wow, that's no good. We that's we no don't want to. We want to be doing this a lot, and we yeah. don't want to spend four mana on it. We ideally will spend zero mana on it. Sometimes we'll spend two mana on it because of a card like Flood. Flood is not a body, it's an enchantment. It let's you just pay blue blue to tap a creature that doesn't have flying. Yep. So this is super reusable. This one card is something we can use on each person's turn cycle. If you have eight blue mana, you spend eight blue mana, tap four creatures, draw four cards. You know, and the 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 text that says, you know, this triggers only once per turn or what have you may not be like super awesome and limited, but like like you mentioned when you first started talking about your pillar one is if you're drawing three cards before your next turn, like, that's pretty good. Like That ends yeah. up <laughs> working out in your favor, usually. That adds up pretty quick. Yeah. So I think the I think the once per turn triggers mostly so that it doesn't... Like, there's there's a card like Choking Tethers. Yeah. Which taps four creatures. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> that card doesn't also need to be Ancestral Recall. Like, it doesn't need to be Brain Geyser. It can just yeah. be a cantrip, and that's fine. Yeah, um, that's fine. But yeah, so uh, Flood, super repeatable... There's a couple other repeatable cards that I think are really fascinating, have cool abilities. There's a, an old Ravnica card called Plumes of Peace, mm-hmm. which has a foretell ability. Forecast. For, forecast? That's it, yes. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Nope, forecast. I just don't want Derek you. coming after you because it's like his favorite mechanic of all time. Mm. Sorry, Derek. Uh, forecast is an ability that lets you reveal the card from your hand during your upkeep to get a minor effect. And then you put it back in your hand. And you can just do that every upkeep if you want. It costs a couple mana, but that's fine. Yep. Uh, my, speaking of things that cost a couple mana and are super repeatable, Mind Games is a one mana instant to tap something, and it has buyback. Uh, so you can just put that back in your hand anytime you want. Uh, Sleep of the Dead will tap something, and it has escape. You can cast that from your graveyard as long as you have things in your graveyard to exile. Uh, Hidden Strings and Hands of Binding both have Cypher. So if you have a creature that you can reliably get in there and attack with and connect with other people, you can uh, get extra tap triggers that way. I think that oh, of that's these... gross. I didn't think about that because you're tapping anyway to remove blockers, and then you're going to get in with the hidden strings or whatever that you can just cast for free to tap a different creature. <laughs> yes. I think, I was just going to say, of these, I think hidden strings is the far more powerful because... You want to be tapping things before combat so that you can get in there and like make sure that nothing gets blocked. But then if you tap something before combat, you don't draw a card off of ciphering the, the, the second tap ability. Like you've already gotten your charade trigger for your turn right. mm-hmm. pre-combat. Which, but hidden strings is tap or untap. So if, you, if, you've, if you've already gotten your charade trigger because you used your Minister of Impediments to tap down a blocker, then your hidden strings just untaps your minister of impediments, and now you can just get your charade trigger on another turn, which is crazy. That is crazy. So yeah, hidden strings super powerful. Yeah. There's also just a huge plethora of other spells that will tap something that are not repeatable, but that all do something interesting and cool. Like uh, my favorite is called Press for Answers, and it will uh, just because of the art, uh, it will. Yeah. Uh, tap something and not let it untap, and then you investigate. So you can make a little clue token and draw a card with it later. But yeah, 
uh, tons of effect like that, we're gonna there's there's no shortage of things that will tap things. You you have to be actually really selective about which ones you're gonna run and which ones are good enough and which ones are bad, because mm -hmm. a lot of them are pretty bad. Yeah, I think that same last sentiment sort of goes for the deck that Liam's talking about too. Is like we just have a million enchantments. You know, you need to be very selective about how you're yep. gonna whittle it down to to a hundred cards or ninety nine cards, if you will. Yeah. And some of that's going to be preference. Like some of that's going to be like, sure. I, I want my deck to be more about fonts than yeah. about <laughs> other things. And like that's that's cool. And like some of it isn't so much preference. It's just like some of these cards are strictly worse than other cards, and like you probably shouldn't run them because they're actively terrible. So uh, right. choose wisely. Awesome. Good breakdown. Uh, Liam, we're moving into Pillar 2. How are you going to leverage these uh, Enchantocrats? Yeah, so Neva is leveraging these payoffs mostly with cards from Wilds of Eldraine. Uh, there is a little bit of help from a couple of ex existing cards, but to take advantage of the looping with the enchantments, you're pretty much using new cards. Sure. Going down the list very quickly, there is actually a, a decent number of cards just kind of in general. Uh, the first selection of cards is going to be cards that get really, really super thick with all of the enchantments leaving and entering the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Gixian Infiltrator from Bro, so Brothers War, is a 2-mana two 2-1 two that says whenever you sacrifice another permanent, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. It's pretty sweet, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Solid, yeah. Uh, and then, mm -hmm. conversely, from Wilds of Eldraine, there is Savior of the Sleeping, where for three mana, you get a two-three with Vigilance. Whenever an enchantment is put into the graveyard, put a plus one, plus one on Savior of the Sleeping. So those two creatures are going to get pretty big. They will be pretty uh, uh, aggressive in combat. They, they don't really have a lot of evasion, but just having the biggest thing on board might deter people from attacking you. Uh, the next set of creatures I want to talk about is Grim Guardian from Johnny into Nyx and Wicked Visitor from Wilds of Eldraine. So Grim Guardian has Constellation for whenever itself or another enchantment enters uh, under your control, each opponent loses one life. And Wicked Visitor says whatever enchantment you control is put into the graveyard, each opponent loses one life. These are <laughs> infinite drain with never loops. Uh, I do also want to go back to the Neva loops real quick. So the enchantments that loop with Neva, with her first ability, that is not in question. Like, like those those enchantments I talked about will loop with Neva's first ability, but her second ability, you do not actually get the scries for those leaving the field. Because by the time Neva comes back to see them, they're, they're already, already gone. gone. Yeah. Good catch. I do want to walk that back real quick before I get too far into this episode. So, sure, 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 sure. Good yeah, catch. So yeah. with just Neva and one of the looping enchantments, there is no actual scrying being involved. However, if you have Slumbering Keep Guard from Wilds of Eldraine, which is a one-mana 1-1, one, one, that says whenever an enchantment enters under your control, you scry one. So there you go. Uh -huh. There's your scry. It's almost like they wanted you to play that in a Neva deck. Almost like they wanted you to play that. Weird. Another card from Wilds of Eldraine is Warehouse Tabby. Uh, whenever an enchantment is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you create a 1-1 Black Rat token with this creature camp block. This is going to be the go-wide win. This is not going to win on the spot for you, unless you have something like Crashing Drawbridge to give the rats haste. But you do the loop enough times, you build up an army, you attack. And this will help too. I find, you know... Tokens are super valuable in Orzhov decks because yep. 
regardless of how aggressive you think your Orzov deck is, it's going to be kind of slow. <laughs> so you yeah. need bodies on the field, especially recurring bodies. And that's really good. Something else these rats might help with is if you are digging with something like Slumbering Keep Good, right? The, the Warehouse Tabby is making you bodies. If you're running something along the lines of Ashnod's Altar, you could be producing extra mana to cast enchantments over and over and over. Because when, sure. with the looping enchantments, like Kaya's Ghost Form is a single black mana. But Angelic Renewal is one in a white. And uh, there's another one that's, uh, I think it's uh, Unholy Indenture is two in a black. Unhallowed Pact is two in a black. Uh, mm-hmm. So just yep. getting rid of some of those colored costs with colorless mana generated by a rat in Ashnod's Alto would be really helpful for continuing to do the loop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's not too much of a reason to truly be running Ashnod's Alto in this deck, really, which is strange. But there are there are certain niche loops that do get a little bit better with it. If Ashnod's Altar is the thing that you're using to loop Neva, then all you need is a mana filter, and it goes infinite with the Warehouse Tabby. How does Ashnod's Altar and Warehouse Tabby go infinite with Neva? Uh, with Kaya's Ghost Form or uh, right with Angelic. Kaya's Ghost Form. Yeah, it can't go infinite with Angelic Renewal because if you're using a mana filter, those are two mana. You would use the two mana from the rat to pay for the white, but then you still have a colorless mana for the renewal. You get to sacrifice Neva and the rat each loop. Uh, duh. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That's four there you mana. go. Broke it. Yep. All right. So yeah. So Ashton's Altar is one method of sacrificing Neva. There's a couple other that I built into the deck. Uh, they are mana gated themselves, such as, uh, oh gosh, it's one of the Eidolons. It's not Hopeful Eidolon. What is it? No, it's not an Eidolon. It's Lampad. Lampad of Death's Vigil. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Soul Reaper of Mogus. Those are both mana-gated ways to sacrifice a creature. I just kind of threw them in. Uh, Ashna's Altar is useful for getting rid of the Neva, but that's kind of about it until you start the loops. Yeah, and that's, you know, they're not going to be totally just chaff either in that deck because, you know, Neva has menace and gets counter. So if it gets big enough, she's going to be removal. And, right. you know, if you can sacrifice it for some effect... That would be very nice. Exactly. Very helpful. And the last set of creatures I want to talk about that uh, work with Neva's loops are Rhyme for a Reindeer, which is from uh, Wilds of Eldraine. We've already talked about it. The elk that taps down opponent's creatures whenever an enchantment enters. And it's even worse counterpart from Theris Beyond <laughs> Death, uh, which does the same exact thing, but for one generic mana more. Yeah. So the while the reindeer isn't fantastic in every single constructed deck i think it does have a place in in neva the unicorn starts to push it a little bit because when you look at neva's curve the vast majority of the deck is three and under there are it appears exactly four cards with mana value four two cards with five and one with six and the one that has six i'm really only running for the two mana adventure so i don't know if you really want to count that too much i mean it, the sure. the creature itself is is useful if you are stuck but that's about it so the curve itself is very low these tend to sit on the higher end of the curve depending on your play group you might get away with the unicorn but i'm just not sure that if if, if you're looking for a payoff to cut you're probably cutting the unicorn first right the unicorn's a lot it's yeah it is a lot yep and Orzov decks are always uh, pip hungry as it is. I remember mm-hmm. the five is just a lot. I remember the unicorn and thinking, 
wow, that is too much mana for that cost. You know, but I, I never, like, put a number. Like, should it be four? Should it be three? Whatever. Now that we have the reindeer, and I'm still like, wow, that is too much mana for that effect. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, three mana is kind of with, like, like, I think anything below three would be just bonkers. Like, Yeah, it's probably one of those things where they've figured out, like, you know, in design, the design teams have probably figured out, like, this effect should cost three and a half or 2.75. Let's make it three. And, like, even even if it was, like, a two-mana 01, right, like, a two-mana 01 with this effect would be bonkers. I think a three-mana 2-2 or a three-mana 2-3 with this effect would be very strong. As much as I don't like the fact that it costs four, four mana might just be where it has to be just to not be overly oppressive. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. to make up for it, we get fairly good stats. Because this this could very easily be a four mana two three with this effect. But I think that they, they understand that it needs to be this high on the curve because the effect could just end up being overly oppressive. Mm-hmm. However, by the time it comes down, you might have already missed a trigger or two or three. So they make up for it with stats. And Sure. Yeah, yeah. I can see where they're going with it, but it still just pains me. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll just have to live with it at three for a while. At four. At four. Sorry. Four. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's how I'm leveraging those loops and that that generic value. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to move into the food deck for Pillar 2. We talked sort of briefly a little bit ago about being selective. I think we have enough cards in our format that care about food and or just generic tokens that it's time to be selective in a food deck in that same manner but there is a ton that we can do with food literally just food in the in the uh, Greta deck I mean you know first of all we got Cauldron Familiar granted we unless I'm missing something I don't think we have an exact loop for it we don't have like uh, Witch's Cauldron or what have you uh, we can do some silly stuff, like we can get them a couple times maybe with the, um, what's it, the Sirith Ungol Patrol or whatever, that you can pay one, tap it, sacrifice, sacrifice a creature, make a food. You know, you can kind of do that with the cat and get, them for a, get the table for a couple, but there's not a whole ton of loops we can do with the familiar, but it is a nice uh, added piece to the deck if you're... If you care to run the next card, which is Epicure of Blood. Like, if you've got some um, interesting ways to pay off for that life gain cauldron familiar is is just fine the one of my favorite actually one of my actual pet cards in green is Bloodbriar. it's the three mana two three whenever you sacrifice another permanent put a plus one plus one counter on it that's always been one of my favorite green cards and i think creatures like Bloodbriar and gixian infiltrator which is basically just the black version of it they're gonna get really big like just sort of out of nowhere because you know you're sacrificing all these food and sometimes treasures and this and that and they're just going to grow and grow and grow like I, I i can totally reasonably feasibly see a game or a few turns where you're sacrificing a food or two on your turn and then one or two during your opponent's turns like these things are going to happen and by the time it gets back around when the blood briar is no longer summoning sick it's going to be a six nine or whatever like it's just going to be enormous and they're gonna that's just something the table's gonna have to deal with same with gixian infiltrator there's going to be some bargain spells in here obviously like rowan's grim search is that one you said you've played with dave is that pretty pretty um powerful i mean it reads as being powerful but 
it was a powerhouse in the limited environment. I right, 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 right. Yep, that's what I'm I mean. still trying to figure out exactly where it's going to land in like with a wider PDH. Like obviously, if you have a ton of food tokens at your disposal, a ton of a ton of any kind of tokens, then it's outstanding. If you are yeah. the pals. And people just are <laughs> ungovernable and cannot stop smashing the Grumgully's generosity button, then it's just free. Exactly. Outside of that, I think in the standard PDH deck, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Uh, time will tell. Yeah, I think it'll be um, definitely worth testing. It's not something like a lot of these sets. You know, you see the black draw card, you know, spell that draws you cards with set mechanic on it, and you're like, eh, we could probably pass that one. But I think this one's interesting enough that it should see some play somewhere, or at least a, a, a worthy amount of testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Rowan's Grim Search is great. If anyone doesn't remember or hasn't played with it yet, it's two and a black for an instant, which is huge. If this spell, it has bargained, so if the spell is bargained, look at the top four cards of your library, then put up to two of them back on top of your library in any order and the rest into your graveyard. Uh, and then you draw two cards and lose two life. So if you don't bargain it, you just get the uh, draw two, lose two. But if you bargain it, you get that entire other paragraph, which is huge. So I can sacrifice food to that as well. And then obviously there's going to be things like Deadly Dispute. I could probably put in, uh, what's the other, Altar's Reap that sacrifices a creature or artifact. But doesn't give you a treasure or anything. But uh, things that you can sacrifice generic tokens to draw cards is great deadly dispute obviously is awesome um and then not for nothing all these foods are artifacts so cranial plating really loves them as well <laughs> seems seem, seems good <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah buddy i mean assuming that i haven't sacrificed them all to just be silly and draw a bunch of cards uh yeah cranial plating is is gonna make you the threat pretty instantly because it's easy enough to build a black green deck just a generic black green deck in pdh and just have a bunch of artifacts like that can just happen but then when you start piling foods on top of it and treasure tokens on top of it like cranial plating is just is going to be outstanding in in something like this so that's pretty much it we're just going to kind of use food as generically as possible you know worst case scenario you sack them you gain a couple life you know if you're on the if you're on the ropes there but for the most part, we're just going to be feeding the food to the familiars and to the deadly disputes and to all these other um, cards that want you to sacrifice permanents and then some cards that pay off when you do sacrifice a permanent. So should be pretty straightforward. And I like the uh, I, I like the approach here specifically in, in Golgari because it makes it feel like a Golgari aristocrats deck in a certain way but it's not straight up aristocrats, if that makes sense. Like I still get some of the payoffs for sacrificing things, but sort of in a different uh, route, if you will. So I think that wraps up my pillar two. Dave, what does blue white have for payoffs? If you're tapping stuff. Uh, so this is kind of the weird part of the, the episode where I, I remind you all that I talked a bit about how this is brand new design space for wizards mm-hmm. like yep. we have never before seen the words when you tap an opponent's creature you get a thing this is just not a trigger that existed before this weekend right. so uh when you say i'm going to open up this deck to all of magic magic's history what have we got you got nothing <laughs> there's nothing there <laughs> so we're going to go old-fashioned the payoff to tapping down your opponent's creatures 
10 years ago was now they can't block. <laughs> so that's right. where we're at. We're going to do that, the combat that's pretty thing. That's where we're at. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. If people aren't blocking, that makes cards like Thieving Otter and Tandem Lookout really good. Super good. Uh, you're just going to draw cards. And if the if the Thieving Otters and the Tandem Lookouts are not getting blocked, then there's no reason at all that that Thieving Otter should not have a Bone Splitter and Brass Knuckles. Uh, yeah, it'd be a crime if it didn't happen. I think it's illegal in three states to not yep. equip those things mm -hmm. to your Thieving Otters. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, that's... Yeah, if, you, if your deck does not contain Brass Knuckles and Bone Splitter, don't cross the county line. Exactly. Because <laughs> they're coming after you. Jeez. <laughs> Gotta be really careful about that. Yep. Thieving Otter with a Bone Splitter and a Brass Knuckles is eight damage and two cards. It's not... <laughs> Bingo. It's not nothing. I also just decided it would be really fun to have, like really big creatures sometimes so like we put in sure. uh we put in the megalodon we threw in a megalodon ah, we yes. threw in a sword yeah, coast serpent oh yeah absolutely solid yeah. yeah that's it we're just gonna we're gonna tap things down and draw cards off it and then eventually we're gonna tap our we're gonna turn our own stuff sideways as well that's the entire payoff yeah i i i the more you talk about this deck this commander this new design space the more i like it because it is very like Okay, to you know, satiate your control fix, we're gonna let you tap your opponent's creatures and give you a little bit of a reward for it. But really, we just want you to beat the crap out of them in the red zone. Like exactly. that's what it comes down to. So yeah, that's like, huge. Is, I like it. This is a great way for you to justify turning your white blue creatures sideways. Yeah, and like equipping that's what we love to do bone splitters and brass knuckles in your <laughs> white blue combat deck, <laughs> like. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of warming up to it too. Like a week ago, I was like, oh, "I'm on the I'm on the blue white tap out guy." That sounds terrible. I don't want because it this, reads like... as sort of like just control, like yeah, lo like a lock deck almost, if you will, or whatever. But yeah, the more you sort of dig into it, you're like, "Oh, I I, I can so, run bone splitter and brass knuckles on a sword coast serpent." Like, let's do this. I'll, I'll well, I guess say like it's that it's unblockable anyway. But I know that Brownie and probably a couple other people are looking at this card's potential in C PDH and they're sure. probably doing freed combos and or Drake combos, but those are stupid and also lame. So we're not talking about them on this episode. <laughs> this episode it's otters with axes. That's otters with axes. That's all I got. Make a good but, show uh, title. Yeah. I, th I'm, I, I mentioned this just to say that I, I remain exactly as, unenthusiastic about the combo version of this deck as i always have been i think sure that's as, a, as a combo commander i think that charay is awful right as a as a as an otters with axes commander i'm i'm into it i'm here for it sure yep as otters with axes go this is probably top notch uh look at us in pillar three liam what do you got yeah so for pillar three this is how to not die Yes. That's correct. How are you not going to die? Because this is a Orzhov commander that doesn't gain life. Right. What's up with that? Right. This Orzhov commander is, a, is, is still aristocrats. I, it might be a misprint. <laughs> right. It's it's a scry one. It's it's supposed to say gain one. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. No. Uh, so it's Orzhov. So we don't gain life this time, but it's still Orzhov. So remove things. I I don't know how else to put that. You are in the colors <laughs> of removal. Remove things. 
my huh, my list weird. my my rough draft list of 110 cards has 14 removal spells in it nice remove things <laughs> do it yeah uh and the other thing is uh don't be suspicious until you can combo yeah just just fly under the radar don't be the problem yeah i think that's that's fair i think that's i think neva or never or stalked by nightmares i think that's pretty unless you're just absolutely going off like from turn four onward i think the flying under the radar should be decently easy for neva until you get to the later turns and they're like oh wait wait it's an eight eight when did that happen yeah i really like uh the the, the sort of trend we've gotten in pacifisms that exile sure we're, mm-hmm. we're up to like five or six of them now and i think mm-hmm. a, a lot of them are very powerful like uh we just got cooped up which is the best rate we've ever had uh choking restraints is the old bad version of that dreadful apathy yeah. is in the middle we have weight of conscience we have dreadful apathy like all of these are just really crazy powerful removal spells that also work with neva and then right. and that's not even touching on the o-rings and oubliettes like mm-hmm. the, the deck is has however much removal you want and it's all synergistic yeah just loaded sweet that seems pretty straightforward in orzov let's see what the food deck can do with pillar three how to not die and let's not really touch on like the oh you gain three life sacrifice of food like that's not really not really what i'm about so i did decide to go a couple different routes with this whole not dying pillar um greta herself puts a plus one plus one counter on my creatures so in the event and it probably will happen eventually in the event that Greta is not on board or she's too expensive to cast. I wanted to use effects like pride Malkin and dusk shell crawler to give all my creatures that have counters on them trample. So that is very nice. Whether they'll be super huge or not, I don't know, but I like having that effect on board, uh, especially with a way to generate those plus one plus one counters in the command zone. And then outside of that, I really wanted to focus on what is happening with the tokens that I'm producing. So I definitely included cards like Disciple of the Vault. It's going to drain the table for one. Uh, Nadir's Nightblade, the recent downshift, Mirkwood Bats. All of these cards care about you getting rid of a token in some fashion. Uh, Mirkwood cares. Mirkwood Bats care about them coming into play. So that all three of those are going to be serious amounts of damage if they stay alive. It's just crazy how good they are with the foods. I have cards in the deck that make treasures like the Deadly Dispute, uh, Marching Duo Drone, that sort of thing. So it's just going to be random tokens all over the place. And those three specifically are going to care quite a bit about what happens to those tokens. And then, you know, there's some other notables that are going to be in this deck. When we talk about how to not die, a lot of that is how am I going to stay alive? And, And I'm... I don't want to say guilty, but I do that quite a bit in these three by three episodes. Like, how am I going to stay alive? This deck is, I built it in a way that my how to not die is how am I going to kill everyone else? Because if everyone else is dead, then I don't have to worry about it. So I really wanted to go aggressive, big and tall and wide as pos- as much as possible. So some other notable cards that I put in here are like uh, Glimmer Baron from Modern Horizons 2. It's a 1-2 for a single green. You sacrifice a token, any token, and it gets plus 2, plus 2 till the end of turn. Awesome. You know, pair that up with the Pride Malkin, and you're just sort of off to the races. With a ram through, hello. Like, that's just a lot of damage. 
Blood Researcher is one that I've been fond of since it released. It's from Strixhaven. It's one in a Golgari for a 2-2 Vampire Druid with Menace. And whenever you gain life, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. That's awesome because, like I mentioned earlier, the fail case of food is you just gain some life. So Blood Researcher gets counters. You, you know, Epicure of Blood cares about you gaining life. Like, there's so many incidental ways to gain life, even with Cauldron Familiar. Like, it's just going to happen. Actually, let me make sure of something. Yeah, I just, I couldn't remember if Cauldron Familiar gained you a life or not, but it does. Uh, so yeah, Blood Researcher, and I like the fact that, I like the way I've built this deck initially because it's sort of going to be attacking on a few different axes that I'm hoping that it's too much to contain at all for the opponents. Like, sometimes if you're just in a big creature deck or a trampoly creature deck, it's easy to deal with that if the table is worried about you. If you're in a um, a gain drain deck, a Dina or whoever, a print, Witherbloom Apprentice, that sort of thing, it's easy to deal with because a lot of a lot of what's happening for your deck is happening in the command zone. So it's easy to deal with that situation. I built this um, Greta deck in such a way that I want my opponents to be worried about me on the battlefield, in the command zone, in my hand. Like, I wanted a whole sort of spectrum. Now, I'm not sure if maybe I watered it down, and maybe, you know, the sum of its parts is less than the whole, but uh, we'll just see how it plays out. I found this one that I guess I just forgot about from Commander Legends Baldur's Gate, Cloakwood Swarmkeeper. It's a single green for a 1-1 elf ranger, and it has gathered swarm. Whenever one or more tokens enter the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So, like, literally, you just cast Greta and automatically put a counter on Swarmkeeper because she made a food. Like, you cast a deadly dispute, sacrificing a food, it makes a treasure, this gets a plus one, plus one counter. Like, there's just so many incidental ways for the Swarmkeeper to get giant that I'm I'm just a fan of it. And I just I, I guess I didn't know that card existed because I don't play a lot of tokens, especially in green. So one super like cute interaction that I thought of is with Blood Crazed Hoplite from Journey into Nyx. It's uh, one in a black for a two-one human soldier. It has heroic, which I I love. Uh, whenever you cast a spell that targets it, blah blah blah, blah you put a plus one plus one counter on it. But its second rules text is what I like. It says whenever a plus one plus one counter is placed on Blood Crazed Hoplite, you can remove a plus one plus one counter from target creature an opponent controls. And now because there's just so many random plus one plus one counters floating around, like being able to do that just seems sort of fun to me, sort of cute. I don't know how powerful or good it's going to actually be but um, I like the interaction there and it's sort of something that I don't think anybody's really going to expect to be facing across the table um, so if you can make those creatures smaller it sounds good to me and it's very specific it's probably even like meta dependent but uh, seems fun and you know plus unnecessary heroic is just my jam like I'll just put that pretty much anywhere uh, so I think that pretty much wraps up my pillar three, all the sort of like different ways to use foods and tokens and attacking on multiple different angles to not die. <sighs> all right, Dave. I like it. You got a pillar three, huh? I do. Uh, not much of one. Um, I feel like I already talked about pillar three in pillar one. Sharae's mm -hmm. uh, control suite is that she's tapping down everything all the time without ever stopping. <laughs> half half of the tapping involves stun counters, so those things don't untap. The other half of the tapping also doesn't let things untap, but was printed before stun counters existed. So right. 
it's just different templating. Uh, yeah, like you're pretty much never going to get attacked. The problem is mm -hmm. if there's something killing you that doesn't attack, like a Firebrand Archer or a Kessig Flame Breather, yeah. uh, you just die. <laughs> the deck that I have designed has zero answers to those cards. I'm, it's got Sword Coast Serpent and uh, the new Sword Coast Serpent that's actively terrible. The the six five giant lady that only bounces a small creature at sorcery oh, speed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mm -hmm. I don't know why they made a card that's so much worse than Sword Coast Serpent on like every <laughs> axis. Uh, but they did, and it's in this deck. I think those are the only two removal spells I have that aren't the tap down stuff. So, um, hope you draw one of those. If not, hope you can race it with uh, axe-wielding otter. And if not, yeah. uh, guess I'll die. Go to game two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guess I'll die. <laughs> so, I thought about trying to find cuts in this deck for like O-Ring and Vanish into Eternity and Generous Gift and Arcane Denial. And I just couldn't care enough to do so. Like, the deck already yeah, feels... I feel like I feel like that's a level of optimization you're not willing to to do with this particular commander right it's like, like not in a negative way i just don't think that you you're that interested in it sure i i think it's just the the deck already feels like it's going to be so oppressive sure yeah, yeah if if someone's deck is going to attack me on the the axis that i can't control like then they've earned it <laughs> like that's fine yeah that's I'm, totally fair yeah I will. I, I've I've made my peace with that. If uh, <laughs> if you're building this deck and you don't want to be at peace with that, then add the O rings and the Vanish into Eternity and Generous Gift and Arcane yeah. Denial and the Gate Counterspell. Like just yeah, throw in all the good cards, but like throw don't bother the, me with the actual that. good cards. And <laughs> I'm, yeah. not what I'm here for. Right. Awesome. Oh, does that wrap up Pillar Three? Are we on mm -hmm. to four already? All I right, so, Liam. Yeah. What does Orzov do to not run out of gas? Or what does Neva do to never run out of gas? Yeah, uh, Neva recurs things. Specifically, she recurs enchantments. You should use that. Uh, turns out that reading the card explains the pillar. It's pretty straightforward. <gasps> that is straightforward. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is that in the event that you don't want to rely solely on that, the black-based card draw spells are really solid includes in this deck as well. Uh, so f just for some examples, the ones that I picked, picked the new one for the set, uh, Rowan's Grim Search, because that's just bonkers good and you've got a bunch of enchantments. I also enjoyed in this uh, deck Pointed Discussion because of the blood token. Mm, that's one of my favorites, yep. Yep. In this deck, I also included Knight's Whisper and Read the Bones because they tend to be pretty solid uh, includes. But mm -hmm. in addition to that, uh, foreboding fruit that gives you a food token can be really good with the bargain and also just in general food's good yeah food is good all right that seems pretty straightforward i like it yeah and like you said you know my pillar four is sort of the same thing like just read greta and you'll understand that you know she can draw you a card <laughs> like you spend two you know one in a black to sacrifice a food you draw a card and lose a life that's not terrible to have in the command zone but is that wrap up your pillar four liam yeah my pillars four pretty short okay um outside of greta like or outside of the draw spells that i have in the deck greta is going to be the the supplier of, of most of the gas like having three dozen creatures you know you can also put in something like gift of the gargantua which i've absolutely been in love with since dave introduced it to me like eight months ago like that looks pretty solid here 
and I'm sure that I'll be publicly roasted if I don't include Candy Trail in the deck, which is also <laughs> another food, which draws you a card, which is an artifact, the whole thing. And if it's gas in the form of ramp that you need, you know, there's many partings from Lord of the Rings. There is Re Return from the Wilds. There is Revive the Shire. Some of these act as modal spells. Some of them act as ramp or food. Like, there's so many different... Lately, and it seems like a lot in green, too, we've gotten a lot of these common... Uh, these modal spells at common, which I'm usually not super high on, but in this deck in particular, they they seem really good. Like, mini partings is just a um, single green. You put a basic land in your hand, which isn't great, but also for that single green mana, you create a food token. Like, that's not terrible. Return from the Wild, I know, is one that Dave was a fan of when we did our set review episode. It's three mana, you choose two. You can put a basic land onto the battlefield tap, create a, to a human token... A uh, 1-1 one, one human token or a food token. So, like, for three mana, if you don't need the land, you just create two more tokens that are just fodder for your other spells, for your bargains or deadly disputes or what have you. And then Revive the Shire is one that I sort of forgot about from Lord of the Rings. It's two or it's one in a green return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, and then you create a, fo a food token. That doesn't seem bad at all. Granted, you're not going to be light on creatures, but if, you know, one that you are particularly fond of gets killed, you just go grab it. Or if you want to get your candy trail back or what have you, like it hits any permanent. So that's nice. And then um, we can keep the ramp going. I, I like this interaction too. Like we can keep the ramp going by being able to put additional plus one, plus one counters on Fertilid and just keep <laughs> searching for basic lands. Like, so it doesn't die. Like that seems decent. Were you going to say something, Dave? No, I just, I love Fertilid. I do too. I'm a huge fan of it. And it, I've used it on other players, like as a political tool. It's just like a casual pod. Like, man, I don't like that you're mana screw. Like, here, go get a land or whatever. But normally it just sort of like you get two uses out of it and it's dead. But like with Greta and the rest of the deck, you can just sort of keep this on board fetching for lands <laughs> the whole time. So, and then another one that I'm really kind of fond on is Shelob's Ambush, the uh, single black mana for an instant spell from Lord of the Rings. Target creature gets plus one, plus two, gains death touch, and you create a food. Like, all these random food tokens, they're just flying everywhere, and I'm, absolute, I'm absolutely um, a fan of it. Normally, I like black combat tricks to let you draw a card, but in this deck, drawing or creating a food token... I don't want to say it's as good as drawing a card, but it's pretty darn good because sometimes you'll get the bat's trigger and you can sacrifice it to get other uh, damage triggers or what have you. So, And that'll also give any creature death touch. Like if you need your one of your opponents to kill a creature, I don't know, whatever. You can use it on any, any creature, not just your own. And then for a sort of non-repeatable engine, we have the uh, Sirith Ungol Patrol, the 5-mana 4-5 from... Uh, the Orc Soldier from Lord of the Rings that you spend one and tap it, sacrifice a creature, draw a card, and when you know it, you create a food token. Like They're just everywhere. And this is a draw engine. It's a sacrifice outlet. It's a very good body, a 4-5. Like That's not terrible at all. So there's just so many different things that we're going to be able to do with these tokens and these treasures and these foods. Like It's going to be crazy. My only concern is not having enough of them. Because knowing me, I'll get overexcited, I'll get overstimulated by having all this cardboard on my table, and I'll just sack it all to something and realize, oh, I should have saved that for combat next turn, or whatever. So, um, But yeah, it just seems fun. It's very, like, 
cardboard.deck, like game pieces.deck is what this is. There's just going to be tokens flying around all over the place, and I'm kind of here for it. Like, it seems fun. So that's pretty much my pillar four. There was a whole bunch of ways to say sacrifice food or sacrifice creatures to draw cards. And if you need, need to, keep Greta on board, spend two, draw a card. It's pretty much that easy because you're going to have so many foods flying around that I don't foresee myself ever being in the situation of saying, oh, I really want to draw a card off Greta, but I don't have any food tokens available. Like, that's not going to be a thing. Like, there's just always going to be food tokens everywhere. So that's pretty much my pillar four. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Dave? Can you think of anything else I missed, maybe? Uh, no. Uh, I like I like your list. I love Kira's Ungulk Patrol and... Uh... Yeah, I'm glad I finally have a list to play. I mean, I guess I could play it in a lot of my decks, but like this one actually seemed like it fit really well. Yeah. I like the card. And Greta, I, I feel to mention, I'm sure everybody knows by now, but um, you know, it's one in a black sacrifice of food, you draw a card and lose a life. That's not a tap ability. Like if you got six mana and three oh, yeah. foods, like just draw three cards, lose three life. Like yeah. Like I do a sacrifice a different food to gain that life right back. Like it's not a big as long deal. As, as long as the foods keep flowing, you can. As uh, long as the food keeps flowing, absolutely. Yeah. And like hopefully, there's three cards you draw, give you more foods. So. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I don't. That's pretty much all I got. It's really straightforward, and I didn't want to just sort of like cheese it out with the food so i went tried to go in a few different directions but it just like i kept finding cards that would work because i guess i didn't realize because i don't make decks that use or abuse a ton of tokens that i didn't realize you know in just the last few years how many cards watsi has made that care about tokens entering care about you sacrificing tokens care about tokens leaving the battlefield like i haven't looked at it but i bet if you look at this deck that i built 90 percent of it is from the last four years or since original Eldraine, like a lot of new cards in this deck too. So, um, oh, and then one I didn't mention that I'm going to try out Sprout Swarm. Seems good. Yeah. Because, you know, the deck. I like Sprout Swarm. Yeah, seems fine. Put a bunch of tokens on board. I'll have, you know, with 36 creatures of my own, like convoking it shouldn't be a problem. So. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out. But if not, I can always swap that for something else like Tortured Existence. <laughs> My baby. <laughs> but, yeah, that's all I really got for, for Pillar 4. What, um, How would you rank your your deck? Are you Is this a deck you're going to try out, Liam? Are you interested in it? Or was this sort of just like a, 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 a theorizing experiment? Uh, this was definitely a theorizing experiment deck. This is not one that I'm going to build. Okay. That's fair. I th it has potential, though. I see, like, yes. I can definitely see people brewing with it. And I think that's, we talked about it way at the beginning of the episode, but how, like, you know, not all the signposts are good and this and that. And, like, I think we do a pretty good job of when we do these building of a set episodes, I think we do a good job of picking commanders that a lot of people will like, that have good potential in the format, and that are sort of interesting to brew around you know it's not just like we see the color pairs and we're just pick them at random like i think we do a pretty good job of, of picking good ones what do you think about yours dave are you going to play it you're going to run it all the time um first i want to very briefly mention my deck's pillar four which is uh oh my god we did not get to your i am so sorry no it's fine watch this watch Sheree this <laughs> draws cards that's it it's pillar four you just, the commander is your gas. You don't need more than that. 
Wait, looking at the show notes. Gas isn't a problem. That's it. Yeah, you nailed it. That's your pillar four. <laughs> yeah, the, the, sh- the show notes literally say, "Have we all read Sharae?" Yeah. Okay. Gas isn't a problem. That's the int- <laughs> literally everything I wrote for that section. Um, but yeah, I like I said, I'm not super excited about Sharae. I think that I think that it's going to be pretty oppressive. I like the idea of a white blue deck drawing cards for doing a thing and using that to amass a big board and then attack people to death. Yes. Uh, that's that's a cool idea. Yeah, I think Sheree is a, a unique take on that idea. I already have Vega. So sure. I, I don't think that I need a second one of these running slightly different weirder cards that uh, I think is going to make a lot of people have a lot less fun in a game of Magic. <laughs> I think that I think that Sheree is going to be really like even though it's like only like gonna suppress combat i think it's i think a lot of people are gonna read the deck as very oppressive and no fun so i i just don't want to bring that energy into my games sure Um, i could definitely see sheree being if you sit down at a random pod at the lgs or spell table and you see someone plop down sheree you're gonna eventually you're gonna be like oh my god here we go right <laughs> i'm already like that i'm like oh okay yeah. here, there she is <laughs> there she is let's get this over with it's time it's time to time to have a three minute political conversation every time everyone says the words i move to combat question mark <laughs> yeah i don't want to like, end i move i move to combat with a question mark every single time Right. I want everyone to do that. And I want people to have like loud, angry arguments about where the creatures are going to go and yep. why I shouldn't have to tell you. Like, <laughs> no, uh, it's just, I'm already tired of it. But yeah, I, so I'm, I'm not going to put Sheree together. I have already built two other decks from uh, Wilds of Eldraine that I mm-hmm. think are super entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I built, and I built just the for the listeners, and, like, uh, you, you built the Sewer Witch and the, which was the other one? Weirdly, it's the otter. Like I'm, the I'm otter, talking about yeah, Sheree a... being the otters with axes deck. I built, I built the uncommon otter. Her name is Madeline Otter. She's uh, the card name is Frolicking Familiar. Uh, I might have to go and just put a bone splitter in that deck. Just, I, th- I think you have to now. You're probably. I think obligated. I have to. But yeah, just for the listeners, like Dave has already built those two decks and is super excited about them. But these yeah. type of episodes are for the signpost uncommons like specifically neither of those are signposts so Correct. uh didn't didn't bring either of those decks to this discussion yeah one of them is an adventure that just does adventure things uh the other one honestly in terms of set mechanics it's a lot closer to liam's deck than anything else it uh, does it does a lot of auras it does a lot of auras that kill themselves for yeah. advantage but yeah uh i am super excited about those decks from wilds of Eldraine. I think that the set is pretty dope. Uh, I'm not building Sheree though. I might, <laughs> I might build Greta because I, I I love it. I love Greta. Here's, here's the really weird take on Greta. For like a year, mm-hmm. like a year ago, I was routinely playing games with a guy named Space Doubt, uh, who's super fun, and I I miss him. I miss the, he was part of the the cult of Elkadron days. Um, mm-hmm. He had a Dina deck, and like, cause, cause Dina, the Soul Steeper, she's yes. like, you know, tea flavored. Like that's her whole deal. She, she just brews tea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a Dina deck that was all food. 
Because it's okay, like tea time, okay. right? Like tea biscuits mm-hmm. things. And I was like, that's such a cool thematic flavorful thing. And like I've I've wanted to build a black green food deck with Dina for a while. Mm-hmm. And like the idea of building a black green food deck that can pivot between Dina and Greta, which are two wildly different commanders. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like that seems like a challenge that I am would be like really into. Like finding not just like which ninety nine go best with Greta, but like finding which ninety nine go best with the weird intersection of both Greta and Dina at the same time. <laughs> so that I could just swap out commanders at random and still have a perfectly functional deck. That intrigues me enormously. I and like I that might idea. That. Yep. Yeah. I I like that idea, like from the get go. Like some, like I probably have a couple decks where I could swap out a commander, and not really notice the difference. But mm-hmm. I like that idea, like before even building the deck. I like having that as sort of like uh, a structure or an obstacle, if you will. Yeah, and I like, like that I, idea quite a bit. I too, I, I have a couple decks can switch like very effortlessly just because the commanders are so similar. Like Battlecry Goblin wants you to have goblins and Airdrop Condor wants you to have goblins like there's no meaningful difference between how you're gonna yeah, build those decks but sure. like between dina who like wants food tokens because she she triggers off life gain and greta who wants food tokens so you can sacrifice them for completely unrelated things like that sounds like a way more like challenging building thing and that yes. is what i want right now so i might build greta not building sheree not building sure. neva it's totally fair. I, I think I said it in the pre-show, or, or I don't know if I said it in the actual episode, but we've done a handful of these episodes, and I think this Greta list is the first one that I'm actually going to build in paper. I'm just I'm tickled by this entire deck. It just seems really fun. Like, and I purposely, I purposely didn't put in a bunch of removal. I purposely didn't put in all this crazy stuff to make it even semi-competitive. Like, I just want it to be a big food deck and just have big, fun, casual Golgari stuff. Like... That's the whole point of it. Yeah. It just seems fun. Seems like it'll accomplish that. Uh, I think that wraps it up. Look at us. Just a little bit longer than the pre-show. We're good. Just a little. We are professionals. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to move on into the outro. Probably went a little too long for a listener listener question this week, but we'll uh, maybe we'll put one on next week. Yeah, we'll see what we got. But either way, we're going to move into the outro here. So we're just going to talk about a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. If you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can follow us, like I said, on Instagram, over on X slash Twitter at the PDH pod. You can email us at the PDH pod at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to the PDH home base's website. That'll take you right to the Discord server and you'll find everybody there. Uh, you can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And as always, you can find Dave as the Alcadron just about everywhere else PDH is being talking about. And I'll put um, all the links down in the in the show notes, too, and probably the deck, deck list and stuff that we talked about today. All right. As episode 64 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we'd like to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, pick your favorite signpost. Hashtag Enchantocrats, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. Just declare no blocks. Blocking genuinely, truly is for cowards. I brought pop text at the party. Pop. 